Well, good evening, everybody. It's great to see you tonight. I want to take a moment here to welcome you uh, here to campus. Glad you're here. Glad to see you. As always, look at somebody sitting nearby and give them a big smile. Tell them you're glad to see them on a November Wednesday night. A dark November Wednesday night, right? <laughs> it gets, it's getting dark early. We're feeling it. Those joining us on Facebook Live and live stream, we are so glad you've chosen to make this service a part of your evening. And we know it's going to be a blessing to you. So thank you so much for joining us. Grace Church, let's stand tonight. I just want to take a minute and, and just enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, and invite the presence of God tonight. Will you do that with me, Lord? We enter into your gates. Lord, we're thankful tonight so much. Lord, in a season, Lord, now of thanksgiving, Lord, where we turn our attention to the blessings, the favor, the, the bounty, God, that you have given all of us, Lord, and certainly upon our church. We thank you tonight. We praise you tonight, and Lord, surely you are welcome in this place. Lord, let everything that's done on this campus be done to the glory of God. Let it be anointed, Lord, and for the empowerment of your people. Draw us closer to you tonight, we pray. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Clap your hands to Jesus before you're seated. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. God bless you. God bless you. Boy, I, I tell you, I'm glad to be here tonight. I, I just... Uh, look forward to these moments uh, in service with you, uh, corporately, in community, and then I look forward to being in the presence of God, and it is just uh, an honor and a privilege, and here we are, so thank God for it, thank God to see all of you. Just have two things to remind you of tonight, and I, I think, sometimes I think about the announcements, uh, you know, uh, is it, it, it's breaking news, like we have not given these announcements before, these are new announcements, and I think tonight... I have breaking news for you, so pay attention, man. This is exciting stuff. Uh, Wednesday night, November the 23rd. That's, the, the, of course, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Service will be dismissed that Wednesday night for obvious reasons so that you can celebrate the holiday with your family. Certainly those that are traveling, we want you to be safe and be careful and come back from the holidays ready to have some good church. Amen. And then... Um, Again, I don't believe we've announced this yet. You may have seen some media on it on the screens, but the Grace Church Christmas service is scheduled for December the 18th, and that, that's another one of those services that I look forward to. It seems like they roll around a little quicker the older I get. The years are going by faster, but here we are again announcing our Christmas service, and um, it's the 18th, and the theme this year is God with us. What a, what a great theme. I love that. And uh, you're going to be hearing, of course, the Christmas story and song and presentation, certainly from the preached word of God. And it's just going to be a great service. We uh, just I think you should invite your family, your friends, anybody that uh, would be blessed by that service. Certainly a wonderful service to bring somebody with you uh, to that service. So so mark your calendar and do that. And it's going to be a blessing. Everybody say amen. 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 The word of God, the Bible says, is quick. And that is King James, that just means it's alive, it's living, it's quick, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God is powerful, is what that means. It just means that it, it has the ability to do spiritual surgery in our lives. Amen. Amen. And then God said, heaven and earth will pass away but his word will never pass away. Aren't you thankful to have eternal truth? 
Aren't you, aren't you thankful to have something very definite and very sure to build your life on? And it's the Word of God. I am. I'm thankful for eternal truth. I'm thankful for absolutes that I can build my family on, build my life on, and know that it's going to deposit us safely into eternity inside of heaven's gates. Amen. God bless you tonight. If you're thankful for the Word of God, clap your hands. Pastor's coming tonight to teach Bible study. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Dave, and uh, along with him, it's great to see all of you here tonight. Thank you so very much for coming. Uh, this past weekend was such a, an exciting weekend here at Grace Church. Uh, uh, Sunday, Sunday was amazing. Um, Sunday morning service, so thankful for the Word of God and His presence of the Lord that was here. And then... Um, uh, Sunday night was amazing. We celebrated our Connect Group leaders, and um, that was just a, a lot of fun and thoroughly enjoyed that. Great great weekend here at Grace Church this past weekend, and looking forward to this one coming. And um, you don't want to miss this coming Sunday. It's going to be a very special time. It's going to be a very special service, and um, uh, you don't want to miss and I trust all of you will be here uh, this coming Sunday. I want to go ahead and launch right into our Bible study presentation tonight. Uh, I'm continuing the series, The Principle of the Path. And um, last Wednesday night was the, in my opinion, the core, um, the foundation of this entire study. I would like to encourage our, our youth group. Y'all had youth service last Wednesday night, if you would. Pull it up on your, your our podcast, what have you, and uh, watch it, and uh, hopefully it will be a blessing to you, and you will learn and glean a lot of great things from uh, the presentation last Wednesday night, and I hope all of us are, I am, and uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed and appreciated this series, and uh, hope you're, you're gleaning out of it. Tonight, our our subject will be our what we're going to make an effort to magnify tonight is just simply should have seen that coming. Should have seen that coming. I want to ask a question tonight that would apply to most everybody here, maybe with the exception of the first two rows. Um, based on what you know now, what would you say if you could go back and tell your something yourself something when you were 17 years old so you might ever thought about that um, the problem of course is that we would tell ourselves pretty much the same stuff that our parents told us and since we didn't listen to them chances are we wouldn't listen to ourselves either so I know this is a bit absurd to think about, but let's think about it anyway for just a moment. What would you tell yourself at 17 and what difference might it have made if you had actually taken your own advice? Imagine being able to warn yourself at 17 years old about something or someone that would cross your path at 21, 25, whatever age. Imagine the investment advice you could have given yourself back then. What's the old adage? If I only knew then, 
what I know now. Life would be so much easier, would it not, the second time around if we had an opportunity to learn from our first time around. But unfortunately, we don't have that opportunity. Primarily because we only live life once. <clears throat> so we are left to make decisions about the benefit of the experience necessary to make informed decisions. Or we are left to choose paths with no clear knowledge of where they will lead. So how do you know which way to go when you've never been where you're going? I think we have a slide for that. How do you know which way to go when you've never been where you are going? Take marriage, for example. Single people shouldn't have to choose their marriage partner. I think the Middle Eastern countries have kind of something going on when the parents pick who you marry. How would you have liked it if your parents had picked your spouse? You young folks on the front rows, how would you like it if your mom and dad, Owen, what kind of woman do you think your mom and dad would pick for you to marry? Don't answer out loud. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> might ought to have that conversation. They might have some things that they could impart that would be helpful. But single people shouldn't have to choose a marriage partner. What does a single person know about marriage? It's a bit absurd when you think about it. You can get a, a driver's license is more difficult to obtain than a marriage license, if you put it in that context. So choosing a marriage partner should be reserved for people who know what they're doing. Choosing a marriage partner should be reserved for people who know something about marriage. And I know that in this, this, this whole thing, I, I'll, you'll understand in a moment. How would anyone ever get married in the first place if you waited and you couldn't get married until you had some experience with it? But you see my point tonight. So there are many life destinations that we've never visited but desire with all of our hearts to see and to experience. Listen to Pastor tonight. Our only option is to pick a path and hope it will take you there. So how do you know? Besides, in addition to life being a series of decisions that we've talked about in this study, life is also a series of firsts. You folks down here, oh, I'm glad y'all are in here tonight. I missed y'all last Wednesday night. But you'll appreciate this. Life is a series of firsts. There's always the first date. I didn't mean to look at you, Elena. It just happened that way for some reason. Got your daddy sitting right over here for crying. He's sweating buckshot right now. But there's the first date. There's the first. Look at Owen down here. Boy, he's stroking out, but it's coming. It's coming, dude. I promise you it's coming. There's the first 
semester in college away from home, and I hope none of our young people move away to go to college. They have great colleges right here. You can stay right here at Grace Church and go to college, but there's the first semester away from home. There's the first job. There's the first marriage, hopefully the only marriage, hopefully the only marriage, the first kid, the first investment decision, the first house, the first loan, and every one of those first is a step in a particular direction. Yes, it is. Every first step is a first step down a path. How are we supposed to know where those things go when it is our first? So we'll talk tonight for a few moments about choosing specific paths with specific destinations in mind. The idea of making life decisions in arenas where we lack life experience should put a little fear in all of our hearts. Uh, I know there's people that's had a fear about getting married and buying your first home and having your first child. It just causes a little fear on the inside. It's the fear perhaps, uh, mostly perhaps, of the unknown. But I don't, I don't run into too many people paralyzed by indecision. There can be some people that are indecisive about some things, but large in part, most people can make a decision. So instead of carefully analyzing the destinations associated with the various paths, path options that are offered to us, our tendency is to charge down the path of least resistance, oblivious to the obvious. Everybody say amen. I've talked to far too many people who are trying desperately to backtrack down paths they wish they had never taken. It's usually in financial or relational or spiritual arenas. Some have acquired too much debt. There are some that are in bad marriages. Others are entangled in business with people they wish they had never met. Talked to someone not too long ago that was in business with somebody, had a business partner, and sat down and said, Pastor, it's not working. How can I get out of it? So I imagine you've had a few of those conversations yourself, and isn't it true that as they tell you that their marriage is horrible and their finances are a disaster and they tell you their stories, you're dying to ask them this question. Didn't you see this coming? Wasn't there anything along the way that gave you a heads up as to where this was going to take you? Weren't you even a little suspicious? Surely there were some early warning signs. Surely there was something that was telling you that this path you are on right now is not a good thing. So while you may sit through those kinds of conversations with people wanting to ask those questions, and sometimes I'll just come right out and ask, and that's partly a pastor thing and partly a curiosity thing. And guess what? Nine out of ten times, there are some red flags, there's some hesitation, there's some early warning signs, and they'll admit someone did try to get their attention with a word of caution, and they ignored the advice. They figured everything 
would somehow work out against advice and against wise counsel. I wish everybody could hear this tonight. Every decision has an outcome and every path has a destination. And so there they are, exactly where they don't want to be, but exactly where the path they chose led them. And now life is complicated, unnecessarily complicated, unnecessary because the warning signs were all in place. And again, they were oblivious to the obvious. <clears throat> What's the adage kind of new that, that people say sometimes about somebody doing something really stupid and they, they're called Captain Obvious? Um, I've used that numerous times in the past with people that, okay, Captain Obvious, if, if you know all of this is wrong and it's going to turn out wrong, why are you doing it? But I want to assure everybody it doesn't have to be that way. There's a verse in Proverbs, as we talked about last Wednesday night, we'll go to a different verse tonight, but this is the book that the wise man wrote. It's a book of wisdom. But there's a, a verse in Proverbs that cannot be ignored. Doesn't matter how old or young you are tonight. If you're able to read this verse, you can't ignore it. And it is applicable every day. I would recommend that people, if you're struggling with this material, you need to read this verse every day. Even if you're on board with this material and you choose right the right path. You still need to read this verse once in a while. It should be memorized. It should be prayed every day, if you will. Proverbs 27, verse 12. A prudent man, a wise man, a cautious man, foresees the evil and hides himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. Y'all see that? Can y'all read that from where you're sitting? How about you folks in the back? Can y'all see that all the way back there? One translation says it this way. The prudent see danger and take refuge. But the simple keep going and suffer for it. There's people here tonight that are in the simple bracket. You've chosen a path. And it's not going to lead you to where you think it is. So this verse in Proverbs introduces us to two kinds of people, the prudent and the simple. Again, prudent means wise, it means cautious, etc. Simple, I think that kind of explains itself. Elsewhere in Proverbs, these two travelers are referred to as wise and naive. Both are headed down the same path. Both see danger. They're both headed down the same path. Both of them see danger, but they react differently. And that's the separation between the wise and the simple. Consequently, these two travelers experience two very different outcomes. Life-changing outcomes? Maybe, maybe not. But at least not on the surface. So, Follow me for a moment as we take a, a deeper look. And let's start with the first half of this verse. The prudent see danger and take refuge. I want to tell the two front rows here tonight 
you'd be very wise to listen to your parents and to listen to your pastor, to listen to the assistant pastor, the ministry team, to listen to older people who are experienced. You'd be very wise. And don't sit there and argue with the face of wisdom and experience. Just shake your head, yes, okay, I understand, and that's what I'll do. You'll be far better off if you did it that simply. But again, in the book of Proverbs, the term prudent is used interchangeably with the word wise. So a prudent person is a wise person. The implication here is that a prudent man or woman understands that all of life is connected. He or she is aware of the cause and effect relationship between what he chooses today and what he experiences tomorrow. Does everybody understand that? What he chooses during one season of his life and his experience in a future season, for better or worse. Consequently, prudent people look as far down the road as possible when they make decisions. Wise people look as far down the road as possible when they make decisions. Every decision they do this. After all, they understand that tomorrow, that today and tomorrow are connected, period. As the author of Proverbs states, they stay on the lookout for signs of trouble up ahead. They're not negative. They're not gloom seekers. They're not people trying to avoid reality or what have you. They're just wise. And this is what wise people do. So they stay on the lookout for signs of trouble. Today's decisions are informed and influenced by their impact on tomorrow, drawing on their own experience or the experience of others. They anticipate the future and choose accordingly. I want to digress just for a second. Somebody asked, asked me personally not too long ago, how did you stay in church all of your life? I think sometimes I've been carnal and lukewarm and what have you, but I don't ever felt like a backslider. I never felt like I never left the church. Sister Murphy didn't either. Neither one of us did. How, how did y'all do that? Because when I was in high school, back in the mid '70s, there was about 100 to 125 hippies that came to our church. They were dope addicts, drug addicts, alcoholics, immoral. You name it, they did it. They lived it. When they stepped into our church and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they lit up like the proverbial Christmas tree and began to preach to the current youth group who was the youth choir and all that other stuff that we've talked about and said, this is the best thing on the planet. You need to thank God every day that you didn't have to go down the path. We went down to find it. You need to stay put. Don't go in the world. Don't go into sin. Don't do drugs. Don't have sex before marriage. Don't wife swap and girlfriend swap. Don't do none of that stuff. It's not real. It won't satisfy. It won't make you happy. And after about 100 people told me that, I listened. wish some of them were here today to tell that same story and to give that same testimony. Wise people consider their, their decisions carefully. They ask what I often refer to as the best question ever. In light of my past experience and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wisest thing for me to do right now? Everybody hear that question? Young people, do you hear it? There's people here tonight need to hear that. In light of my past experience and my future hopes, my future dreams, what is the wisest thing for me to do right now? The prudent draw upon the wealth of data 
that life has already provided them, and then they take appropriate action when they see danger ahead. The second half of the verse, we are introduced to a second category of folks referred to by the wise man as the simple. But the simple pass on. The simple ignore the warning signs. They ignore the flags. They ignore advice. They ignore counsel. And they just keep going. And the Bible said they're punished. What the Bible is heavily indicating here is that it's not because God is punishing them. The path they chose is punishing them. Again, one translation said the simple keep going and suffer for it. The word simple is used interchangeably with the term naive. In contrast to the prudent, the simple or naive person lives as though life is disconnected, as if there's no connection between today's choices and tomorrow's experiences. The simple see danger. When they see danger, they do not take evasive action. They just keep going. Notice I said they live as if life is disconnected. They don't necessarily believe that to be the case. If you were to ask them, do you think there's a connection between the choices you make today and what you'll experience in the future, they will in all likelihood tell you yes. Again, it's not that they don't believe life is connected. The point is they don't live like it's connected. I don't mean to sound preachy, but I'm very passionate about this tonight. Who could be so naive, you might question it. Pretty much everybody at, at some point. Watch this. Every time you eat something, you know you'll regret. You fall into this simple, naive category. Every time you talk yourself out of exercising, you talk yourself out of a preferred future. Every time you light up a cigarette or drink a beer or lie to your spouse or to your best friend or spend money you don't have and you act as if today is in no way connected to tomorrow, you see danger, yet instead of taking refuge, you just keep going. You, you, you know life is connected. You just don't live as if it is. You make decisions today as if tomorrow today is isolated from tomorrow. We've all heard the experience. We, 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 excuse me. We've all heard the statement that experience is the best teacher. But the truth is, the only thing most of us learn from experience is what to expect when we repeat the same bad decisions. We've all said, I'll never do that again about something. We knew what the outcome would be, but we just kept going anyway. Does any of you old folks here tonight remember TGNY? Raise your hand if you remember TGNY. That was the coolest store on the planet. It was, it was Walmart small and a whole lot more fun for some reason. I remember my mother and I, I would go grocery shopping with her every Tuesday when school was out. And uh, I think she went because they doubled S&H green stamps that day or something like that. I know she got a pile of them, and we'd take them home and fill up all them books and then go to the S&H Green Stamp store and buy stuff with those green stamps. When I got married, I had a little nightstand beside my bed that I purchased with my mother's S&H Green Stamps. I wish I still had that little thing. Had my telephone on it, my tape player. I was in tall cotton, as the old saying goes. But I remember going, when we'd go grocery shopping, we'd go to, I believe it was A&P on Choctaw. 
in uh, North Baton Rouge, <clears throat> and next door was a TGNY, but it wasn't just a TGNY, it was a TGNY Family Center. So it was TGNY on steroids, and, and it just had so much stuff. And I went in there, we'd go every week. My mother couldn't go to, to that A&P without going into that TGNY, and it was just amazing. It was a wonderful, it was like going to Fun Fair Park to me. Y'all don't know what that is either. Some of you don't, but like Disneyland or something. And um, <clears throat> so uh, all of you Funfair Park people, did y'all remember riding the wild mouse? Y'all were as stupid as I was. Well, you talk about making bad decisions. Oh, Lord. And I don't know how many people gave that poor chimpanzee cigarettes, and he lived 40 years as a, a nicotine addict. Y'all remember that. <clears throat> mean to digress down all that path but it just happened <laughs> talking about choosing paths <laughs> got somebody back there coughing they laugh so hard over that um we went to that tgny and went in there over and over and over and they had a little purple hot wheels car and i, I think it was a carvet stingray something like that and i wanted that thing so bad and i'd always ask my mama can i have it and she'd say no and can i have it and we'd say that she'd no and, and so finally i committed my first horrible transgression that i remember in my life ever just got tired of staring at it and walking away from it. So I decided to put it in my pocket and I walked out the door with that car. It was about that long and it fit perfectly in my pocket, but I promise all of you tonight that when I was walking through the store with that in my pocket, my conscience was killing me. And it felt like my face was a neon light that just said, he just stole that car and just blinking. And it felt like that car in my pocket was that big around and every person was going to see it and the police were on their way to pick me up. I took it on home, but I'll promise you, I had no fun with that little car. My conscience would not let me enjoy playing with that car. And you know what I told myself? I'll never do that again. And guess what? I didn't. So we've all said that about something we've done in our lives. Since I've been married, I have said I'll never do that again more times than I can count. <clears throat> Some of you probably need to start. might help. It's just a joke. We're on a kind of a light point here. I've been kind of preachy tonight. Well, we've all said I'll never do that again about something. We knew what the outcome would be, but we kept going anyway. The primary difference between the prudent and the simple is not what they see, but how they respond to what they see. Been taught all my life, temptation is not a sin. Yielding to temptation is a sin. So prudent people see danger and take refuge. The simple see danger and keep going. The prudent see danger and change their course. They act on what they see. The simple just simply... Do not. The prudent act as if then is now, as if the future is present. The simple respond as though tomorrow will always be tomorrow. The prudent respond now. When the prudent identified behaviors turning into habits, they do something about it while they can. The simple just keep going. The prudent sense a relationship moving in an unhealthy direction and they do something about it. The simple keep going. The prudent see trouble on their financial horizon, and they do something about it, but the simple just keep spending. After all, the simple say, didn't Jesus tell us not to worry about tomorrow? That's stupid and taken out of context. 
So the proverb closes with a specific prediction. Actually, it's more like a promise. It's, it's like a warning. The simple keep going, and they'll suffer for it. Murphy translation says the stupids, the idiots, the ignorant, keep going and doing whatever they want to do and whatever feels right at the moment. But in the end, it hurts really bad. The translation says and suffer for it. I like that terminology. They suffer for what? They suffer because they were oblivious to the obvious. The simple suffer for refusing to act on what they see. They suffer because they live as if there's no connection between the choices of today and the experiences of tomorrow. They overlook the fact that every path has a destination. The truth, this is a truth many people have a difficult time accepting for themselves anyway. But like it or not, decisions have consequences. For some believers, there's a point of no return. There's a point at which it becomes impossible to sidestep the consequences. When it dawns, dawns on us that the undesirable but ever so predictable outcome of our choices is bearing down on us, notice this. We move into victim mode. Christians start talking about forgiveness as if somehow forgiveness serves as an escape hatch from the outcome of bad decisions. This is when people threaten to sue or even countersue. Suddenly, when we've made a bad decision and now we're suffering with the bad decision, now all of a sudden we want a second chance. We begin talking about turning over a new leaf. This is when the formerly religious start showing up in church. We are quick to, re to remind the world that nobody is perfect. And if all else fails, we'll play the fairness card. It's just not fair that this is happening to me. When we're the ones facing the inevitable consequences of our decision, it really doesn't seem fair. But when it's someone else arriving at the destination his path led them to, all his attempts to avoid the inevitable strike us as a bit amusing. Well, after all... What did he expect? Actually, I know what he expected. He expected the except, to be the exception to the rule, he, an exception to the principle of the path. And we can look at all these people that do dumb stuff and ask the question, how come they didn't see that coming? But it's funny when we look in the mirror, we can't do that to ourselves, to put ourselves under that kind of scrutiny. When the inevitable becomes the un unavoidable, it is not unusual for us to start pointing our fingers at God, the same God who inspired a king several thousand years ago to pen the very warning that we all carelessly ignored. The same God who preserved this warning for us over the course of history so that it would be available to us in multiple languages, in multiple versions, in multiple covers and colors. I really don't think God is to blame when we end up at a destination that we didn't intend to. Don't blame it on God. He didn't make the decision for you. You've heard it. Perhaps you've said it. How could God let this happen to me? I'm a good person. I've gone to church. I've been raised in the church. Where's the love? Where's the forgiveness? Well, the love is reflected in the warning. 
If God didn't love you, he wouldn't have warned you about it. Oh, God, help us to understand. You warn people you love. You warn people you care about. So does God. And experience the outcomes of our decisions has nothing to do with forgiveness. All of you first and second row people, think about your next big test. Let's say you're algebra teacher. Any of y'all doing algebra, geometry, biology, all that stuff? Okay. Think about this. How would your teacher have responded if you had not prepared for the test and you failed it miserably and you run up to her desk and you fall down on your knees and you start crying crocodile tears, especially you girls, and you look up with them big brown eyes, whatever color your eyes are, blue, whatever, and you look up and say, I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. You can do that all you want. But it, and she will forgive you, or he will forgive you. Absolutely, you're forgiven. But guess what? I'm not taking the F away. Hallelujah. Oh, I just felt the anointing of the Holy Ghost right there. We want God to rewind all of our life's terrible experiences and choices in forgiveness, in the act of forgiveness, and put us in some place it's Disneyland-ish. He'll forgive you. The Bible said he is faithful and just to forgive sin. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. But the Bible never promised that he'll take away the consequences. So to avoid an awkward moment, going back to the school teacher, he or she may have extended their hand and pronounced you forgiven, but that won't change your grade. It may help your relationship with him or her, but it's not going to change your GPA. Forgiveness and consequences are two different things, and one does not override the other. Here's why. Everybody listen. God often works through principles. Principles make life somewhat predictable. The cause and effect nature of principles creates the potential for predictable outcomes. Does everybody understand? It's not hard. This isn't hard. Without principles, life would be completely random. Principles enable us to plan with some element of confidence. We talk about God creating man as a, a, a free moral agent. You can do whatever you want, but he gives you principles and he gives you guidelines. He gives you commandments, but he doesn't force you to do anything. So just as you dare not ignore the principle of gravity, duh, means anybody climbed on top of the church lately and just jumped off to see if they could defy gravity and say that's stupid and I don't believe in it? Y'all excuse my manner of presentation here tonight, but I'm trying to communicate as hard as I can to save some people. I'm trying to save some people here tonight. You don't ignore the principle of the path. At the end of the day, direction, not intention, determines where you end up at. You can't pray your way out of that. You can't talk your way out of that. You can't repent your way out of that. It is the way God designed 
the world to work according to Genesis chapter 1. I have an uncle that died of throat cancer a number of years ago. Our hearts were broken for him. He was a handsome man. And um, this is an old Jeff Foxworthy line and it's extremely humorous to me. And I cannot think about my uncle without thinking about this story that Jeff Foxworthy told. That my uncle had the word love and hate tattooed on the front of his fingers. He didn't serve God in any way, shape, or form and was very clear about it. Jeff Foxworthy tells the story that he had a relative that did the same thing but was on his job, had an accident, and the left, his pinky finger was cut off on the hand that said hate, so he had love and hat. We'll move on. I'm sorry. I didn't think it was that complicated. But anyway, my uncle died. Our hearts were broken. I remember driving to Jennings, and I remember holding his head in my lap just days before he died, holding a glass of water to his lips after I poured some in his mouth, and I watched him for several minutes try to swallow a small sip of water, and he ultimately spit it back out into the glass because his throat was completely taken over by cancer. He had smoked since he was a young teenager. Does that make this any less painful? Nope. Did I still pray for him? Yes, I did. Did God still care? Absolutely. Would forgiveness have reversed this? No. Would his children learn something through this? No, they didn't either. Does everyone who smokes die of cancer? No. Was God punishing him? No, I don't think so. My uncle chose he chose it because most of the people around him when he was younger chose it as well. His intention, his intention was not to leave his children fatherless or his wife a widow, but direction trumps intention every time. Years ago, he saw danger. The cigarettes he smoked, there was a big sign on the side of that package that said the content of this package may cause cancer and ignored it thousands of times. As he went through two to three packs of cigarettes every day, he ignored the warning. He ignored the siren, but he, he continued on because he was simple. He was naive. He believed that this wouldn't apply to him. He kept going, and now he and the people he loved the most suffered for it. It's the principle of the path. It's like all principles. It's It's universal. It's not a respecter of men. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, young or old, famous or unknown. Nobody is immune to this principle. In some ways, it levels the playing field for everybody. It does. So if you consider someone with abundant talent, with amazing potential, that has all the connections and all the money one could ever hope for, it's hard to see a person like this not arriving at the destination to which his path of choice led him. The list of people that have had everything imaginable in their favor and ultimately failed is endless. They ended up where their path led them. What makes you and I believe that we would be any different? The writer of Proverbs would answer that question with one word. You're just naive. You're simple. You don't understand. You should have seen it coming. You're oblivious to the obvious. I know what some of you might be thinking. Well, I know this guy who blah, 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 blah. Nothing ever, nothing bad ever happened to him. He didn't arrive at a bad destination, to which I would add yet. 
And just because they don't arrive at a bad destination in life doesn't mean they're not going to arrive at one in eternity. You have a 50-50 shot at eternity. But there are exceptions. I have a brother who smoked for well over 50 plus years. He didn't die of cancer. died of something else. But I'm not telling you, I'm not going to tell my kids that smoking is the key to a long and happy life. Just because one out of so many survived it. I've read stories about lottery winners who never saved a dime, ignored every financial principle known to man, who were at that point set for life. But I don't consider that retirement planning either. And I don't think any of you do. <clears throat> if you do, you're just naive and real simple. So surely you realize that the exceptions to the rules get all the press. Why? Because they are the exception. And if you want to shoot for being an exception to the rule, go right ahead. But why? Why run the risk? Why not live instead as if life is connected? The guy who gets lucky financially but ignores the principle of the path relationally still arrives at an undesirable place and his relationships beating the odds in one area of life is no guarantee about beating any other area of life when sister murphy and i lived in youngstown i'll never forget it there was somebody that won the the big jackpot lottery whatever it was it was one single person that won millions of dollars they were in the news and they were going to buy their parents a house and their kids this and their this and they terminate all their debt and they was going to be retired. It came out in the news about two years later they were completely broke and divorced. Go figure. Every whitewater kayaker will tell you the time to scout out a rapid is when you are a safe distance away. Only a fool would ignore the danger. Rapid ahead, rapids ahead signs are posted by the State Forestry Service. Experienced kayakers know that regardless of how calm the water is where you are now, you should exit the river to check out what's ahead. So much common sense in that. <clears throat> Current conditions are not trust a trustworthy indicator of what lies ahead. Everything may be wonderful now, but it doesn't mean it's going to be that way tomorrow. Once you hear the thunder of the falls and you start feeling the spray and say the tops of the trees are at eye level, you're committed, man. Your destination is at hand, and it's not going to be a good one. So what's true for navigating a whitewater river applies to navigating your life as well. Ignore the signs and pay the price. When it dawns on you that you're addicted to something, that's not the time to start thinking about more accountability and increased discipline. Has anybody ever heard of the intervention thing where people do that all the time to somebody that's addicted to something in their family? They'll do that intervention. Sometimes it works for the moment, but more often, as I've read and studied, the person goes right back to the addiction anyway, no matter who intervened and no matter how many times they've done it. The time to start correcting your life is before it's too late. When your credit cards are full and you're afraid to check the answering machine, I heard a guy say one time he got a, answer, a message from a bill collector 
to the bill collector, said, this is the last time we're calling you. And he said, good, I don't have to worry about that anymore. No, it's not good. They're just going to turn it over to somebody with a whole lot more authority. I thought that was kind of funny too, but we'll just keep on moving. <clears throat> but when your credit cards are full and you're afraid to check the answer machine, that's not the time to consider developing a budget and altering your spending habits. When your spouse serves you with divorce papers, that's not the time to begin working on your marriage. That opportunity is now in the rearview mirror. I've told several people, I've told numerous men that refuse to go to marriage counseling because it costs too much money. I've reminded them, do you realize how much you will spend in child support for the next how many years? Marriage counseling is a bargain. Do they do it? No. They don't. Not going to do it. They'll go one time and say, it's a bunch of hogwash, I ain't doing it. Okay, genius, go ahead and see what happens. And then they sit in my office and they cry and they pull out one Kleenex right after another and their tears are streaming and they can't figure out what happened. I said I was sorry. The path has already led you to the destination. You girls, when the pregnancy test reads positive, that's not the time to start reevaluating the soundness of your moral compass of whether or not he's really the right guy for you. It's too late for that. You had warning signs. They were everywhere. And I do want to say to our girls, our sweet little girls here tonight, if that ever happens to you, don't make two mistakes and marry the guy. Usually that's what it is. Talk to pastor, we'll help you about it. So in conclusion tonight, assuming that you're ready to abandon the way of the simple to join the ranks of the prudent, I want to give you something to do and two things to expect. I'll cover them one at a time. So what to do is first, and I'm, I'm trying to hurry. The prudency, danger, and take refuge. That is, they do something about it. As I've said earlier, they act on what they see. Prudent people know what it is, what you do that makes the difference. It's not what you see, it's what you do that makes the difference. Seeing danger and doing nothing doesn't accomplish anything. Now that may seem too obvious that you wonder why I bother to say it, but as a minister, I live in a world of nodding heads and note takers who walk right out of the door every Sunday and do very little with what they've just heard. I've lived that for 35 plus years. And I do my best to not take it personally. We've all done that. We listen, we agree, we feel convicted, watch it again sometimes on podcast, and still take no action. We see trouble coming and we keep right on going. If there's going to be a change, you must take refuge. You've got to do something. Seeing it, feeling it, agreeing with it is not enough. So here you go. You're going to need to make a phone call, perhaps. You, you have an awkward but honest conversation with a friend. You start cutting up credit cards. You change your phone number. You break up. You find a new circle of friends. You find a new circle of friends. You cut back on your traveling. You set the alarm clock. On Sunday morning, you empty the liquor cabinet. Take your family on vacation. Make an appointment with a counselor. Sell the house. Cancel your Internet service. I hope you understand the connotation of all these things. Change jobs. Sell the television. Maybe all of the above. Does it sound extreme? You bet it does. But you know people who would give anything 
to be able to rewind their lives and do any number of those things that I just mentioned, if that's what it took to avoid the circumstances that they find themselves in right now. I know people who wish they had never owned a computer. I know couples who wish they had sold their homes when they had a choice rather than wait until their financial paths led them with no choice. I know employers who wish they could turn back the clock and respond differently to that voice inside their heads that whispered, don't hire this woman. I used to work for one. Sister Murphy knows the story quite well. The worst day of his life when he hired a certain woman. There are all kinds of actions that feel extreme now that will look like common sense when you're looking back. What feels like a sacrifice now will feel like an investment later on. That's what you do. This is what to expect. Once you determine to act on what you see, you expect two things, embarrassment and relief. Embarrassment because it will appear to the simple around you that you're overreacting. In an effort to be wise, you may appear to be foolish, even fearful. But the prudent don't react to what they see in their current situation. They react to what they see on the horizon. For those in your circle of friends and family who are accustomed to looking no further than the weekend, you will appear to be a bit odd and overly cautious. Acting prudently often appears to others as unnecessary caution. You look a bit silly now because you're taking steps to avoid something later. To be wise, later is now. To the wise, later is now. There will always be those who will not understand. In some instances, they don't even want to understand. To admit that your decision makes sense is to admit that they have chosen the wrong path themselves. And their unwillingness to get it may eventually cause you to second-guess the wisdom of your decision. So since they think you're crazy and you may begin to wonder yourself, but time will tell. Time will tell. The second thing you can expect when you take action is when you embrace the principle of the path is relief. The prudent take refuge and eventually breathe a sigh of relief. The simple, on the other hand, do not. You may have heard someone say, pay now, pay later. There's a lot of truth in that. The challenge, of course, is that you don't have to pay for months and maybe years but it'll be worth it they say but the day will come when you'll look back and think what if I hadn't acted so unwisely what if I had chosen the easy path what if I hadn't made the decision to end that relationship or confront my boss or fire that manager or sell the house but because you took refuge you'll breathe a sigh of relief you saw trouble coming you saw trouble coming, and you responded appropriately. The principle of the path. So tonight, I'd like to ask everybody, no matter where you are in life, if you believe the Bible and take it at face value, whatever has happened to you, you should have seen that coming if you understood the principle. God bless you tonight. I, man, I hope this is helping somebody. I, I'd, I'd love to have somebody call me, text me or something and say, you know what? Just made some foolish decisions. I made some bad decisions. I'm going to listen to advice. I'm going to listen to counsel. And starting a new path, is, it's not going to correct the, the consequences of the old path, but my goodness, 
I'm sure not going to repeat it the second time. I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to be wiser. I'm going to be more diligent. I'm going to be more accountable. I'm going to be more disciplined. I'm going to do all those things. Write it down on a piece of paper and tape it to the mirror you get dressed in front of every morning. But do whatever it takes. Let the principle of the path resonate with you. It'll change your life, especially in your relationship with God. God bless you tonight. <clears throat> I hope you've heard. I hope you understand. I hope you'll take it and do something with it. I've given you my heart tonight. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning. You're dismissed in the beautiful name of Jesus.